Good morning. It's good to see all of you on this Sunday morning. You know, it is hot and dry outside. The weather changes. I think I said this a few weeks ago, but you know, I have a small mind. Um, the, the weather changes, but our God never does. Um, we can always trust that when the weather is not exactly like we want it, uh, God is the God who remains the same. He's good. He's unceasingly good. He's completely good. He's infinitely good. And because of that, we can continue to put our hope and our trust in Him. And that is a reason for God's people to say, Amen. 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 It's so good to see you here this morning if you're visiting with us. Um, at one time, there was some cards in the, and they disappeared. Um, but there is a QR code you can scan, and that will take you to an online bulletin that you can... Uh, Go to the bottom and fill out a connection card. Just a couple of announcements. Our youth, and I just want to reiterate, I think it was announced last week, that our youth meeting, our youth group, uh, is, is uh, going from Sunday to Wednesday. So back to the normal time. And starting at 6 o'clock? Uh, once the children's ministry, it'll be 5.45. Okay. But until, until the children's ministry starts, it'll be? 6 to 8. 6 to 8. Okay. Good deal. All right, uh, two other announcements that I know of. One is uh, next Sunday night at 6.30 is our August business meeting. The agenda, if you are so inclined uh, to look at it, is posted on the bulletin board in the foyer. And if there's something that you think needs to be added to the agenda, make sure that uh, you let me know. Uh, I did want to draw your attention to that there's going to be some things that the missions committee is going to present uh, to the church. And those are listed on the agenda. You might want to take a look at those. And if you have any questions then reach out to the missions committee. Uh, finally, uh, next Saturday uh, on the 13th at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall, uh, the Pray For Me campaign will have a kickoff potluck. Uh, and so uh, the adult prayer champions, if you have signed up to be one, come to that and there you will meet the youth that is assigned to you. You'll be praying for that youth during the year. Uh, you'll receive a Pray For Me book and you'll get to eat, and you'll enjoy a time of fellowship. So if you have any questions, just make sure you reach out to Stephanie. You can call her. You can text her. Uh, if, you, if you're a youth and you haven't signed up to be a part of it and you want to be a part of it, do that. And if you're an adult and, and you want to be a part of it, we, we really want you uh, to be a part of it. Um, did I say that correctly? Is there anything that I left out? Okay. Sounded good to you? I wasn't asking you. Anyway, are there any other announcements? Other than James, does anyone have any announcements we need to make? All right. Once again, you're laughing at me, aren't you? I'm laughing with you. With me. For our call to worship this morning, uh, would you please stand? The call to worship this morning is from Psalm 111, verses 1 to 3. Um, I will read the first Two slides. Actually, let's just read them all together. I think we can do that, right? Uh, so Psalm 111, verses 1, 2, and 3. Praise, Praise the, Lord. the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is His work. And his righteousness endures forever. Let's worship. 
Good morning. I was wondering, do any of you guys have cows at your house? Yeah? Hmm? In the freezer. In the freezer. You know, I lived in the city almost my entire life, and I had no idea how much I was going to love cows when I moved to the country, but I love cows. Most of our cows are either solid black or solid red, but I have this one old cow that has a white face. See what she looks like? She's just a little different from the other cows. Um, and guess what happened this week? She had a baby. And guess what? It has a white face. And it made me start thinking about the fact that um, she looks like her mother. And um, we are supposed to look like our Father in heaven. When the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and we're born again, we start looking like our Father in heaven. But how can that be? The Bible says that God is a spirit, and he doesn't have a body like ours. So how can we look like God? Well, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5.22 that when the spirit lives inside of us, we begin to look like God. Jesus came to show us what God really is like, what he looks like. And so when that Holy Spirit invades your heart and turns you into a child of God, you have joy and you have peace and you love one another and you're kind to people and um, you have a lot of patience. Those are the things that look like God. And just like this little calf was born looking like his mother, we are born and we begin to look like our Father in heaven. Isn't that amazing? He totally changes the way not the way we look on the outside, but the way our heart looks and the way we act. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your beautiful creatures and for the lessons that they have to teach us. Father, we, we pray for these creatures. Father, we pray that you would send rain to drench this land to feed the cattle. Father, we just worship you this morning, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to invade the hearts of those who do not know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. 
Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes.
hold against us what we have done. But your word says that your mercies are new every morning. So God, we come to you with boldness before the throne of grace. And we ask this morning, Father, that you would open our eyes to see the truth. That song will preach, won't it? That song will preach. But I, I kind of want to preach too. So, <laughs> since, since I just so happen to have a word to share with you today. If you would, please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We are breaking into chapter 6. So we are nearing our time together in this book. Um, I want to tell you as your pastor, I have... Really, really enjoyed the time of preparation and preaching and prayer uh, regarding First uh, Timothy. Um, I hope and pray that it's been beneficial to you. I think I've said before that <clears throat> at times it feels like you're reading someone else's email, like this is meant for, for someone else. Um, but hopefully the Lord has shown you that there is so much in here for the church. Now, you might look at this morning and say, I'm not sure about that because what we're going to talk about today seems so out of touch uh, with where we are. But um, I trust that as uh, we have this time together um, in God's Word that uh, you'll see that this is crucial for us. Uh, So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Hopefully, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you found the back of the Bible uh, in the pew there, the black hardback one, and found... Page 164. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And this is God's Word. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of our God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and preach these principles. Let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Father, we thank you and we praise you uh, for these words, how seemingly they are out of touch with us, but there is so much here. As we know and trust that you've said in your word that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. It says in your word that all the scripture has been written for our benefit. 
And so, Father, we we trust that today, as the scriptures are expounded, that you will use them to open our hearts to shine the light of truth into our hearts. Show us where perhaps there's repentance needed. And then point us again to the glorious Christ who can, whose mercy is more. And we praise you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Timothy writes, I'm sorry, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And it was a section of 1 Timothy where you can kind of tell that, that there's a little bit of a change in, in what's coming. Um, He's talking really more to Timothy and a lot of these other, and the rest of this book. But he says in 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And so what we define today, um, talking about slaves, is something that is it's not an anomaly in Scripture you find, especially in the New Testament, um, there's other references to slaves in other New Testament texts. You find it in, in Ephesians. You find it also in Colossians and also in First Peter. And those sections of those books, those other books, are commonly called uh, household codes. In other words... Um, in both, um, well, in all three of those other books, there's attention given to describing how husbands are to treat their wives and wives are to respect their husbands and how fathers are not supposed to exasperate their children, but to bring them up in the, in the uh, admonition, the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Uh, and then there's a section on, on slaves. And so the design of these particular sections is, you know, you think about a household, mom and dad, uh, kids, and, and, and you might think, well, slaves, that doesn't really fit in. Uh, but it actually does because slaves were such a huge part of, um, of the households um, in, in Rome. Did we shut off? We shut off back there. It's okay. Don't worry about it, Paul. It's all good. So in this section, we get a sense of what is found in other books, household codes. And, and this particular um, section, verse chapter 5, and then also going all the way down through verses 1 and 2, the household code uh, that is being impressed upon the people, on Timothy and the church, is, is honor. A healthy church honors appropriately. To honor simply means to esteem, to give appropriate recognition and admiration. So we've we've found that widows are worthy of honor. Not only are widows worthy of honor, elders are worthy of double honor. Now, we stop right there and we say, okay, now that makes sense. There's no moral issue here. To honor a widow, it's not a moral issue for a lady or a man to be a widow. It's not a a moral issue um, for a person to be, a man to be an elder. But honor slave masters? And notice the progression. It goes from honor to double honor to all honor. 
Now, that is, that might make you scratch your head and go, really? Really, slave masters are worthy of all honor? I mean, you think about it. The first two, well, widows and elders, those aren't moral issues. But a human owning another human, now that's a moral issue. Now, oftentimes, and, and this, this is why in our Bibles, so often the word slave has been uh, replaced with the word bondservant or servant. But the word in the Greek does actually mean slave. But because of chattel slavery in the United States and in, and in large parts of the West as well, that word has been kind of scrubbed from the Bible because so often it's associated with something negative in American history, which I, I understand that. I get that. Um, but Roman slavery was quite different from the, the slavery that was practiced here in the United States for so many years. Roman slaves um, were still owned by another human being, but they had way more rights, way more freedoms. They were still ultimately owned, but, but they could do some things that slaves in America could not. Well, as you recall in the other sections about honoring widows and about honoring elders, there was a section in there where, yes, you honor these people, but if they get out of line, don't honor them when they are living dishonorably. Rebuke them. Confront them. Bring it to their attention. So that raises a question. Why not here? Why not deal in the same way with slave masters in the church? Or especially in the church, but, but outside. Well, if you deal with it from perspective of outside, then what begins to happen is that Christianity starts to be viewed as subversive, as a movement that is fomenting rebellion and revolt. And what that would do was it would bring unwanted attention to the church. Now, that may be hard to swallow, but let me take it even a step further. It's not the way that Christ dealt with issues like this. That might t- throw you for a loop. But listen to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You have heard, it, heard that it was said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. And do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is prescribing a different way of approaching some issues. And that factors into, I believe, Paul's concern for how Timothy addresses this in the church. If you also consider... How 
and let's just think about it in, in a Roman context. How there could be, and let's just say, an elder of the church who had a slave, and they walked to church together. Okay, And while they are there in that church, the elder takes care of the slave. They're on equal footing. The elder serves to that slave, the Lord's Supper. And, and it's like, man, all is right in the world. But as soon as they walk out those doors, it's back to being master and slave. And I think you could see there might be a little bit of resentment here. Why can't we just stay at church all the time, right? Because look how you treat me. But then when we walk out of here, man, things it's like a switch just gets flipped. And I think you could see that if there was social action taken against slavery, it could ultimately divide the church. It could for sure affect slave, master, slave and master relationships. So when you think about this and, and how odd it seems what I'm saying to you actually is. I want you to think about this, okay? And I think this will help you wrap your minds around what Paul is saying. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the church's highest priority, not social activism. Full stop. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the church's highest priority, not social activism. Now, Paul was one who constantly combated false gospels in the church. Now, there are some that that I'm about to to, to talk about, some false gospels that exist to this day. For instance, there's the prosperity gospel where Jesus is a a money-bags Jesus. If you just name and claim, if you just sow your seed, then Jesus is going to make you rich. It's a false gospel. There's the Jesus plus gospel. Jesus is, man, he's got you on the right road. You just got to keep it up. You got to do the right works. You got to know the right information. And that's part of what Timothy is dealing with here in Ephesus. There's, there's the love gospel. It's a false gospel. And you could say it like this. The love gospel has a you do you, Jesus. Jesus says, you do you. I'm fine with you just the way you are. There's no sin in your life. It's just all love. That's a false gospel. There's the leadership gospel. You got Jesus as your life coach. You know, get up in the morning. Hey, I need something from the Bible that will help me do a good job at work today. Or help me raise my kids today. Or just, you know, kind of be like the Today Show. Brighten my day. Well, Those are all examples of false gospels. But the false gospel that Paul particularly, I believe, is wanting to steer Timothy and the church at Ephesus away from is an activist gospel. A gospel where you have a social justice warrior Jesus who's all about different social justice campaigns. Or, this may step on a few toes, you you have a God, guns, and America Jesus. He's draped in the American flag. An activist gospel has a slavery-killing Jesus. I think that's what Paul is wanting to steer the people in Ephesus and Timothy away from, a Jesus that's all about killing off slavery. Now, why does does Paul fight so hard against false gospels? Here's why. And we need to understand this also. Paul understood the subversive power of the true gospel. 
The power of the true gospel is displayed in gospel transformation. And social action does not produce gospel transformation. Never has, never will. Can't do it. Now, the Western church, I might be stepping on toes today, we're guilty of forgetting this truth that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring true gospel transformation. Because so often, I believe, we have co-opted the gospel and placed more hope in political solutions than we do in the proclamation of the transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we get impatient. We want things to happen immediately. And Jesus said in Matthew 13, 33, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, like yeast, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. It's, it's slow. It just happens over time. Now you might look at this and say, and it was true in the, the pre-Civil War South that there were preachers who stood in pulpits and, and preached heresy by saying, the Bible says that you slaves are supposed to be slaves, right? It happened. It's a blight on American history that there were gospel-preaching churches who were telling slaves, the Bible tells you you should be in slavery. It's wrong. Now, the reason I bring that up is because of this. You might think, is is there a little bit of motivation in Paul about this? Where, Where he's wanting to put up this real spiritual case for kind of pushing slaves down. And that, my friends, is absolutely not the case. Paul was not pro-slavery. He was not. He told people, don't become slaves. He told people that were slaves, pursue your freedom when possible. There's even a book, and it's it's toward the end of the Bible, uh, and it's called Philemon. And Philemon was a friend of Paul's who had a slave named Onesimus who stole from him. Onesimus stole from Philemon and ran away. And now Onesimus is a Christian. And Paul is writing to Philemon to say, this Christian brother you are to receive and you're to reconcile with him. And you're to treat him as a brother. Now, Social action could never make that happen, ever. Only the true gospel could bring reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus. Only the true gospel could empower slaves to receive what Paul was about to say to them and to endeavor to obey it. And that brings us to, there's two points this morning, and that's a, that's a lot of, uh, of intro. But I only had two verses, so I had to have some fill-in. No, I'm joking. I really needed to tell you these things because this is crucial to help us to understand what these two verses are saying to us. Point number one, Paul says in verse one, slaves must honor their unbelieving masters. Now that's simple, right? That's easy. It's, it's not easy. And Paul actually says in verse one, all who are under the yoke as slaves. Now, he could have just said all who are slaves. But when you mentioned that yoke, it conjured up images of mistreatment, 
of being belittled, of being dishonored, demeaned, treated as property, treated as less than human. Paul says, if you're under the yoke, and this this is your lot, then he says, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard. Regard simply means think, esteem, consider, or count. Think of it this way. James says in chapter 1 of his book, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into trials of various kinds. In other words, you, there is something bad happening. But you're to do a mental calculation that says what, what is meant for bad God actually means for good. That's what he's talking about there in James. It's a mental calculation that is only possible through the gospel. And so Paul is saying you need to look at your slave owner, your master, and esteem them, think of them, consider them worthy. Now the word worthy has a word picture behind it. And I've, I've told you this before, how there are a, a set of scales. You know, it's got the arm and the little pans that hang by, uh, by chains. And then there's a fulcrum in the middle. And you would put a weight on one side. And, and so let's say you wanted five pounds of, of flour. You would put a five-pound weight on one side. Well, that would make that the, the other pan come up and, and the pan with the weight on it go down. And, and things would become worthy when the amount of flour that was put on the other pan balanced everything out. Okay, so you think about what this is asking a slave to do. Okay, so Paul, you're telling me that, Timothy might say this, Paul, you're telling me that I need to tell slaves that they need to look at someone who owns them and who mistreats them, and to consider them as worthy of all honor. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. Now, the person is worthy. That's what... Who missed me. Um, that scared me to death. Ooh. Now, the person is worthy. That's what Paul is saying. He's not asking slaves who are believers... To call slavery sweet. It's not sweet, it's bitter. He's not telling them, you call slavery light. It's not light, it's darkness. So if you are a slave who is under the yoke of your master, it's, it's hard, you're to regard them as worthy of all honor, Paul says. 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20. Peter writes, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So, slaves must honor their believing masters. And Paul gives us three reasons. First, and, and, and this is from inference in the text. It's, for, it's because God created them. God created 
I'm going to just pull some people from, from history. God created Adolf Hitler in his image. Adolf Hitler in his creation, in being an image bearer of God, was a worthy person. I'm not talking about all that he did. This is where the, the disconnect is. And, I, and, and the reason I bring this up is because I think it would get us in the mind of a slave that would hear this. So you think about how there was this. Jews, and I would understand this, Jews being so mad at Germany, right? They treated us like animals, like dogs. So we should turn around and treat them like animals, like dogs. And I think apply that here. And it would be tempting as a slave who believed to tempt to, to treat your unbelieving master in the same way that unbelieving master treats you. But the truth is, the slave master is God's creation and is created in the image of God and is of inherent worth. But I need to make one qualification. Honor this master because God created them, but do so without dishonoring God. Don't sin against God to honor your master. So honor your unbelieving master because God created them. But secondly, honor them for God's glory. He says this in verse 1. So that the name of God. What, he's, what, what Paul's referring to there is all that comes to a believer's mind when we think about God. And all that is due him because he is God. Because it is his name. His reputation, his character that is ultimately on the line, then slaves must honor their unbelieving masters. Finally, slaves must honor their unbelieving masters for the sake of the gospel. Now notice what Paul says. He says, All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, first, so that the name of, of God and, our doc- and secondly, our doctrine will not be spoken Against. Now, imagine you're a, an unbelieving slave owner, okay? And you have had, you've heard from other slave owners how their, their Christian slaves uh, slough off their work, they're rebellious, uh, they, 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 don't, they, they do work half heartedly. And so there's, there's another slave owner. That someone is trying to witness to, can I talk to you about God? Oh, oh, okay. You, you mean the God who, I got a friend who's got slaves and his slaves are Christians. And what do they do? They do stuff half-heartedly. They make it really hard on that master. Now, I don't really want to hear anything about God. And that shows us that conducts can either complement the gospel, you know, like a Christmas tree. Conduct is like the ornaments. You think of the tree as the gospel and conduct, the good deeds that we are commanded to do. Those are like the things that adorn the Christmas tree. They're not the focal point. The focal point's the tree. It's the, it's the decorations that adorn the tree. Our conduct can complement the gospel, but at the same time, conduct can contradict the gospel. Paul's trying to get Timothy 
to understand, to, to get these slaves to, to buy into, is that their conduct must shine forth God's glory among the lost. It must not in any way turn their master away from the gospel. The conduct of a slave should be such that the master should realize as much as they can that the gospel is really for them. They're not so low in their sin that they can't be saved. They're not so sinful that, that, that there's not grace to cover them. Their sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. They must believe that Christ's death truly does cover their sins. So slaves have a duty to honor their unbelieving masters. But not only that, they have a duty to honor their, unbe- their believing masters. The belie- unbelieving and the believing. So you might think, surely slaves with believing masters would have a lower standard to meet for honoring their masters. I mean, that, surely that's the case, right? No, that's not what Paul says. He says in verse 2, those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, Paul says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. See, if a believer, a believing slave master and a believing slave, it elevates their conduct. Paul says, slaves must honor their believing masters first because they're brethren. He says, don't disrespect them. Don't despise them. Don't look down on them. Don't, 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 because can you imagine the conversations? I mean, <clears throat> slavery in general is wrong, but yet it's still in place. And there might be some disrespect where a slave might say, why don't you, thinking in the back of their mind, why am I still a slave? Why am I still owned by this man? He's a believer. Doesn't he know that it's for freedom that Christ set us free? Ultimately not up to the slave. So don't disrespect your master. Don't treat your master with disrespect, with kind of Paul says in Romans chapter six, verse one. Are we to are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? In other words, I know he's I know my slave master's gotta forgive me. I'm just gonna act like a jerk to him. But that's not what you're supposed to do. No, for the sake of personal integrity and for the sake of corporate unity. Honor your believing master. He's a brethren. He's a brother in Christ. He's part of the household of faith. Galatians 6.10, Paul says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the household of the faith. So honor your believing masters because they're brethren, but also for their benefit. Not just simply to say, well, what, the things that you asked me to do today, all the boxes are checked. I'm done. I'm out. Now, 
Paul says in Colossians 3.22, Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Do it for their benefit. You take the first four words of the word benefit, B-E-N-E. That's a Latin root. And that, that, that root means good, benefit, something good. Benefactor, someone who does good. Beneficent, some, someone or something that is good. Beneficial, something that is of good to you. So Paul is saying, don't just obey them. Go above and beyond. Really work for their benefit. And I think the final point draws this all together. Do it motivated by love. Verse 2, he says, Because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Don't be disrespectful. Serve them all the more. Because those who you serve are believers and beloved. Now, would you agree that love is a higher motivation than duty? Imagine how... It would sound if the Bible read this way. For God, motivated by a sense of duty to the world, sent His only Son. Or husbands, live with a sense of duty toward your wives, just as Christ had a duty toward the church. Or do your duty to your neighbor just as you do to yourself. That takes all the air out of this command. You don't, Paul's saying don't do it just because you know you have to. Do it because you love the person that you're doing it for. In fact, in in earlier part of this book, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5.1, he says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, love is a vital indicator that a person really does know God. 1 John 2.10, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. 1 John 3.10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He that does not love abides in death. And then in 3.18, John writes, little children, let us not love with word or tongue. Let's just not talk about love. But love in deed and in truth. It's not just duty. It's love. So we come to the end of this and If you're a slave, you might be asking, how in the world can I possibly do this? Especially if you're a slave who is under the yoke of slavery and you have an unbelieving master. How in the world can I possibly do this? Some scriptures that I, if I I was Paul and I had all the New Testament right there in front of me, I would have said, well, Peter says in his letter, For you have been called to this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Continuing to talk about Christ, Peter says, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And, And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. 
but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. How could a slave honor an unbelieving master? Because Christ left an example of that, that we might walk in his steps. See, Christ understood what it meant to be a slave. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ was a slave himself. And he is not asking his people to do something that he hasn't already experienced himself. Paul gives another motivation or another reason for believing. I I can't actually love and serve my unbelieving master. It's because of what union with Christ means for the Christian. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, Paul says the old man of sin is dead. The slave who has an unbelieving master, who, that slave is a Christian, knows in their hearts the old man of sin and death is dead. That slave has been resurrected with Christ, and Christ lives within him. And so that slave is really and truly able to work out in practice what Christ has worked in him in reality. Now I think that sufficiently deals with the text in its context, but and I'm, I'm promise I'm, I'm landing the airplane. How does this apply to me? When I say me, I'm talking about, I'm sitting where you're sitting and asking this question. How does this apply to me? Well, how do you treat those who are in authority over you? It could be your boss. It could be a teacher, a professor. Whoever it is that they have authority over you, how do you treat them? You can find in this text a way to apply to our lives what it means to serve under the authority of someone who doesn't believe. And sometimes it can be hard to to bear up under that, knowing that person, man, they just don't get it. I, I shouldn't have to treat them this way. But one thing that this text teaches all of us is that honoring a person and sanctification are joined at the hip. They are joined at the hip. You cannot do one without the other. Contending for honor involves contending for personal sanctification. And sanctification is not just, I don't do all the don'ts and I do all the do's. Don't smoke, don't chew, don't go out with the girls who do. Because that falls short of the standard of love. Sanctification, when it produces the fruit, the fruit of Christ... Love will be a fruit you will find on every part of the tree. So think about how you treat a teacher, a coach, a boss, someone who is in authority over you. And could it be that God has brought this into your life 
for your good and for his glory. For your good in that you realize I can't. I can't do this. And where do you go with that? You go to Christ. You go to the cross. You go to the one who understands that you have to obey even when it's hard. In fact, Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he, Christ, was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Not obey when it's easy, obey when it's hard. And, and what a sanctifying work that would do in you for God's glory. And who knows that God might not just use that and your testimony to bring someone who is far off from God close. If you find yourself in a position like these slaves, treat your master with all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. Do it for their benefit, knowing what they're receiving from you. And do it out of love. Father, we thank you for this scripture, for this text of scripture, even though it seems far away from us in our day, how much it can bring to bear to our everyday life. Each one of us, in some way, we have someone in authority over us. And how do we treat them? Especially when they don't treat us well. So grateful, Lord, for a Savior who wasn't treated well. Not that we, I'm praying, I'm glad that He was mistreated. But we had a Savior who, who knows what it's like to be mistreated and to have to obey and to not revile when He was reviled. And we can turn to Him. Lord, we trust Your sanctifying work in all areas of our life. Help us to have the faith not to short-circuit it. How often we might want to say, I'm done with this job. I'm done with this relationship. I'm out of here. And how we might miss out on what you're trying to do in our lives. Lord, give us patience and faith. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to sing, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. So if you would, please stand. If there's something that you need to do during this time, uh, feel free to, to make whatever decision the Lord's leading you to.
few things on our prayer list to bring up. Continue to pray for Addie Webster. She's going through some really difficult times with treatment. They're really bad treatments. Um, four years old. Can't imagine going through uh, some really uh, severe, extreme, uh, powerful chemo treatments. But uh, pray for her. Uh, Angela Allred is, is still on hospice. You know anything more, Sue? Okay, thank you. Okay. Last I heard, uh, Ben was in the hospital. I don't know if he still is. Uh, ben was dealing with um, an infection, uh, but hopefully he's going to get to come home soon. Um, Charlie came through. His, uh, pace, Charlie had a pacemaker installed, and he came through that well, so we praise God for that. Uh, pray for Clinton Hayden. Things are pretty serious with him. Um, he's got an infection and some other things going on. They really need to get that infection off of him. But there's some other things that got to fall into place first before that can happen. So pray for him. Um, pray for the Glenn Ratliff family. Uh, some of you might not know that um, he was, um, I think that a cow kicked him. Or maybe he had a stroke and then got trampled. Uh, but he passed away and it was just tragic. Um, Colton Bench is going to have surgery here in a few weeks. Um, middle of next month, uh, pray for him. I saw that Melanie Lear uh, was approved to be on the transplant list, so we praise God for that. Um, Olivia got her dog, Janus, yesterday. They graduate next Sunday, and then they should make their way home. Um, let's see. Vernon's here today. He's hobbling around, but he's here today. <laughs> Glad to see Vernon. Um, any other prayer requests or updates you want to bring up? I have one. Uh, a friend of mine, Kayla Rigney, um, she's 16 weeks pregnant, has very small children, was having a lot of nausea, just thought it was part of the pregnancy. She has stage four cool glass. I'm going to say it wrong, so I'm not even going to try. It's a mass in the brain that is ag- aggressively attacking her brain. Oh, and uh, just sad. Just sad. But just pray for her. I mean, I know God is the God of healing, so I know he can. Uh, and even if he doesn't, he's still good, and he knows exactly what he's doing. But pray for her and her family. Amen. And the name was? Kayla Rigney. Kayla Rigney. Okay. Thank you. Anyone else? Well, school starts tomorrow. I know the teachers and the students will probably appreciate some prayer. So we'll include that in our prayer time also. Let's stand. We'll have a time of prayer. And then we'll say the Great Commission and be dismissed. Father, we do thank you for the day and for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, for all those that were mentioned, those on our prayer list. Uh, For those that received some good news, Lord, we we praise you for that. For others that are facing serious problems, serious issues like Addie Webster and uh, like Angela Allred, um, we know that there's just so much going on that they need to, to have your comforting presence with them. So we pray that that would be true. We pray for Kayla Rigney. Lord, what an awful diagnosis to receive. Uh, We trust, Lord, that you can heal, are able to heal, and we ask that you would. Pray for our our teachers and staff, our students as they go back to school tomorrow. Pray for a safe year, a great year. Lord, we pray your protection over the school, and we just uh, look forward to what you're going to do during this time. Lord, send us out with joy, uh, looking for those that might need to hear about the gospel, and and help us to live out our faith uh, with every step we take. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.